Welcome to FOP Church Message of the Week. We pray you are challenged by the Word. For more information, please visit www.fhop.church. Thank you, Lord, for being good to us. Hebrews chapter 11, we've been, we've been tackling this over the last few weeks. We're going to continue on today, and um, I'm, I'm excited about the word of the Lord. I'm, I'm excited what's been coming out of this, and just so you know, and Eddie doesn't know, which is great, I c- but I'm going to tell on Eddie. So this, is, this comes out of some time of prayer and fasting and being the word that, that I was doing, and Eddie came to me uh, speaking about the same thing. He's like, hey. Hebrews chapter 11 is speaking to me. I was like, it's speaking to me too. He's like, we should do like a sermon series. I was like, yeah, we should. And so we've been having all this, this you know, thing. And, and I didn't really tell you guys I was going to have a whole lot of different speakers come in and, and hit these different topics. But as you've known the last few weeks, we've had different men and women of God get up and share out of Hebrews chapter 11. What Eddie doesn't know is he's on that list. He just doesn't know when yet, right? And so... Uh, Last night we were we were uh, we were sitting there at the campground, and we kind of got in trouble because he was supposed to be doing another job. But we got in, we were getting into the word, and he was like, "You know what? I've been, I've been reading like we've been doing all this Hebrews chapter 11, and I'm going to preach part of a sermon for him. But you just get you ready." Um, he says, "If if we go through this whole sermon series and no one's life changes at all, we've wasted the last several weeks." So that sermon's coming. So just to prep you for it, what's changed in your life through this whole thing? Because faith requires action, right? Faith without works, without action, is dead, James tells us. And so he was on fire last night when he was giving it. And so he doesn't know, but he's probably going to conclude this whole thing yet. So I'm telling, he did tell Jamie, he's like, I don't know why Drew hasn't asked me to speak yet. Um, I'm like, well, it's coming, buddy. You just don't even know it. So, um, it's it's on him. So I, I want him to I want him to speak that part because when the l- it's one thing, uh, one thing my dad told me when I when I first began to uh, to pastor and speak places, he goes, some guys um, they get up just because they want to say something. He says you shouldn't get up unless you actually have something to say, and uh, that's that's always been. Uh, my heart and my goal is I don't I don't ever need to get up here just because I need to be heard. Although I sincerely enjoy talking in front of people, it's a thing. Um, I miss that part of teaching. I don't get to do that a lot in that anymore. But but there's been on more than one occasion where I've been like, Dad, I don't have the word of the Lord today. I just don't have it. And so here and and handed it off to him, and uh, that that happens. And he's done the same to me. It's it's harder when someone does that to you on the spur of the moment. Don't worry, I'm not about to punt this over to you. I have something today that the Lord is giving me. But um, um, last week I was talking to uh, my grandfather after the service, and he said, hey, I'm sorry. Um, he said, I'm sorry I didn't hit a couple of the verses there in that passage on Moses. Uh, and he said, I didn't really get into that is the way he said it. And uh, I thought, well, that's no worry. I could just hit those verses next week. 
Um, we, we can get into that next week. We got a whole sermon series here. I can I can dive into that. And the great thing is, is because uh, last week, Pop, he um, he spent so much time on Moses that now we all have the context of the whole thing. So I don't have to dive into that part. Right. And so that's this is going to be really fun. So if, if you'll go to Hebrews chapter 11 and if we go down to verse 24, we already know about Moses and all the things that happened with him. But in verse 24, it tells us that by faith, Moses, when he uh, was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And that's part of what he hit on last week. Chapter, or verse 25 says, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Does it someone, I think, does some of yours have a different translation there? Say the pleasures of sin for a season. How many have ever heard that? Enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And that's a thing that we we hear about sometimes. How many know that there is pleasure in sin? Some of you are dirty liars this morning. Like, no, every sin I've ever done has been terrible. Terrible. I hated every minute of it. No, you did not. There is pleasure in sin. Yeah, now now we're getting truthful. If sin was so disgusting, uh, we wouldn't wouldn't venture down that pathway at all. I I remember um, we had had some ants in our house one time. I couldn't get rid of the things. And uh, so I bought these little ant trap things. They're supposed to go and eat the poison and take it back. And they wouldn't touch the poison either. And I was like, oh, my goodness gracious. So I grabbed me some peanut butter, and I stirred it down into that poison real well, and I just laid it out there. Those ants, they hit that thing up. There's a little bit of pleasure in it. And, and that really is the, the way for us as human beings, like if, if sin wasn't pleasurable at all, then there is no way we would ever be enticed. We would be the most pious people. We'd be... We'd be st- I mean, we'd have the Pope here honoring us as saints, even though we're Pentecostal people. Like, look at these guys. They don't even get tempted by sin. But there's a real temptation with sin, and, and it's something I've, I've, like, in my own life, um, have struggled with. And, and it, it's, it's crazy how God can use things that are going on in your life to tell, talk to you about other things going on in your life. Anybody else ever? And so um, I've had this thing happen over the last couple of years where when I eat some sugar, I get these intense headaches, like, and I think I've talked about it a couple of times, but I mean, like, intense, like, mind-splitting headaches, and, and a week or so ago, it was Kai's birthday, and there was all the cake, and the ice cream, and all the good stuff, and I was like, that, that looks delicious, they worked, my wife worked really hard on it, I was like, I'm gonna dig into some of that, I ate it up, and can I tell you, there was pleasure in it, while I was chowing down on that thing, the next night, I got about 30 minutes of sleep because it felt like there was this little gnome trying to dig out of my head right about here. And I was like, oh, my goodness, what was I thinking? There was pleasure in it while I was doing it, but later on, there was consequences. And, and that's, I think, as human beings, and it, it's, it's not just in, in the church realm, but, I mean, even for people who are not even Christians, this is a problem that we all suffer as, uh, suffer about and it is a spiritual condition where if there's not immediate 
feedback, immediate ne negative feedback with what we're doing or going through, we don't see anything wrong with it. And can I tell you today, that's a lot of the reason why the world is lost. It's because, well, I've been doing this one thing for so long, and I've never got any negative feedback from it, so it must be okay. There's this pleasure in this for just a, a little bit. And, and we all are in that place where we can justify something because it feels good in the moment. We can justify it because in the right here and the right now, it seems okay. And the Holy Spirit starts to whisper to us and say, hey, I don't think this is a good idea. Put the cake down. And instead, we just take it hook, line, and sinker, which that metaphor also fits fishing. That fits tremendously. It's deer season. So many people have feeders out right now. Don't eat the corn. Stay away from it. I know you like it now, but back away. Back away. In Romans chapter 8, let's turn there because there's a few verses in Romans chapter 8 that I want to hit. Um, and it was like, at some point I was like, I should just read the whole chapter, but I'm not going to do that. Um, but I really want to, but I would say this, go home and read the whole chapter. Here's your homework assignment. Read the whole chapter. I was going to say, if you love God, go home and read the whole chapter, but I'm not going to put that on you. I'm just going to ask you to go home <laughs> and read the whole chapter. Um, in Romans chapter 8, verse 5, this is what it says, and it talks about, it calls it living according to the flesh. Now, oh, just for a second, everyone, this is your flesh right here, right? This is your flesh. And when you're living according to the flesh, what that means is you're doing things that make you feel good, right? You're doing things that make you happy. And that's the culture we live in today is you do you, right? And, and that's not appropriate and that's another thing that my grandfather and I we talked about last night at the campground again he was he was hitting on that whole ten commandments again he, what you talked about last night was about living our lives according to the word if if and this is an argument that 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 bothers me um, for those who claim to be atheists if you're atheist then what code do you live by what keeps you from doing anything Good or bad. Like, if you don't believe there's anything holding you accountable in life, then why is it not bad for me just to punch you in the face and walk off? Like, so what? We're all just happen chance. We're just a bunch of molecules walking around. And so there must be something. The fact that we even have morals means there must be something else going on. We don't want to just gratify the flesh. But in Romans chapter 8, verse 5, uh, this is what it says. For those who live according to the flesh... It says this, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. I want to stop. I'm going to say, who is the person doing the setting of the mind? Me. It doesn't say for those who live according to the flesh. The devil sets their mind on the things of the flesh. We'd really love to give the devil a lot of credit, wouldn't we? Oh, the devil's just been tempting me. Okay. And he does. That's biblical. 
You know who else tempts Drew a lot? Drew. He does a really good job. Sometimes Drew sets his mind where he shouldn't have set his mind. You know whose fault that is? Drew. And did you know at the end of time that God's not, God's not going to look at me and be like, I know the devil made you do it. No. The Lord's going to look at me like, yeah, you might have been tempted by the devil a couple times. You might have been tempted by yourself a couple of times. But at the end of the day, Drew, Drew chose Drew. And that's Drew's problem. Verse 6, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the spirit, get this, is life and peace. How many have ever experienced the life and peace that comes with setting your mind on the spirit? Yeah, we have. That's why we're in here this morning. It says, for the mind that is set on the flesh, get this, is hostile to God. And I, I think we don't like to talk about that in those terms in the Church of America today. That people who actually spend their time setting their mind on gratifying themselves are actually living hostile to God. But we like to preach a lot of grace and mercy, and, and we know there is lots of grace and mercy. We believe that. But we have to understand that if you're going to live to please yourself, rather than to please God, that you're actually living in a way that's hostile to God. And that's not a small thing. And, 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 and it's not for us to be like, well, then, you know, we've got to go, like, force people to not be hostile to God. But it should bring us to the point to say, look, if my friend has been living for themselves and they don't even know about the things of God, then what does that mean for me? It means I better be telling them the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Say, look, we, you, you can't keep living for yourself. You can't keep living for yourself. And what I will say this, it's some of the, the most uh, depressed people I know, it's because they're very focused on themselves rather than on the people around them with a heart of servant to God. And, and I would say this morning, if you find yourself struggling all the time with being, feeling that, uh, like that, that heaviness of depression. I don't want to make light of it, but I want to say one thing you might want to do is go to the Lord and say, Lord, have, have I been more focused on me than you and your people? I've been so inward focused because when you're inward focused, that's a lonely place to be because it's all about you. It says that to set your mind on the things of the flesh, it do, you do not submit to God's law. Indeed, you can't, it says. Verse 8 says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But then it offers this hope in verse 9. It says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but of the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. How many have the Spirit of God dwelling in them this morning? And some of you are like, well, right now I do. In this moment, I'm doing a pretty good job. Um, not always the case sometimes. I, I want to, let's skip down to verse uh, 18. Because in verse 18 it says this. It says, For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And, and, and I, I want to, the reason I bring this up is because sometimes... 
to live a life according to the Spirit, to set your mind according to the Spirit, means that there's going to be a level of suffering that you're going to walk through. But can I tell you, the Scripture says that's nothing compared to the glory that's coming. And this, it's almost like the opposite of what we just said. Like, yeah, there's pleasure in sin for a season, but at the end, you end up being a dead rat, right? Grabbing the rat poison. I told my, one time, Michaela, she, we were here at the church. She was a little bitty thing. She saw that rat poison, and she just reached down and grabbed a handful of those little pellets. And oh my goodness, stop my heart for a second. Um, but in the same way that there's pleasure in sin for a season, and then in the end, you're, you're going to pay. The wages of sin, the scripture tells us, is death. But in this, the opposite side of that is the suffering that you endure for being faithful to Christ, there's a future glory coming. You just can't see it. Wait a minute, where have we heard that before? There's a hope coming that you just can't see yet. What's that sound like? That's a real question. Heaven? What verse does that sound like? It's in Hebrews. It's in chapter 11. It's in verse 1, <laughs> right? Hebrews 11. 1. In fact, it's actually here. If we skip down to verses 24 and 25, maybe this will... Uh, jog your memory just a little bit about the Hebrews verse, but in Hebrews chapter, or excuse me, Romans chapter eight, verses twenty-four, it says this: It says, "For in this hope we were saved." Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? He said, "But if we have hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience." That sounds a whole lot like Hebrews eleven one. Faith, it says, is the evidence of things hoped for, or is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. And so guess what I can see? Really easily. I can see the sin that's right here. I can see it. And we think, it'll make me feel good. Ah, it's right here. And you could almost say, if you take all this and kind of mush it together in some sort of strange theology, you can say, this right here seems like hope to me because I can see it and here it is and it makes me feel good. It gratifies my flesh. But what Romans 8 is saying is that's not hope. You know why? Because you can see it. Real hope, it's something that you can't even see. Real hope is a hope of heaven. It's a hope of the kingdom of God being manifested. That's real hope. So what does that mean? It means put down the fork, back away. And don't gratify the things of the flesh. Uh, turn with me to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And it goes on, and what it does here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it, it is the same theme of comparing the suffering in the moment versus the eternal reward. And it says this in verses 16, 17, and 18. It says, so we do not lose heart. Look at the person next to you. And say, don't lose heart. And I'll say back to them, we don't lose heart. Right? We don't lose heart. Why does it say? It says, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And it says this. For this light 
momentary affliction is it preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal then we see it again in mark chapter 9 if you want to turn there or else i can just read it to you in mark chapter 9 and we're skipping kind of through verses 43 through 49 it says this it says if your hand causes you to sin what cut it off it is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands and go to hell with unquenchable fire and if your foot causes you to sin cut it off it is better for you to enter life lame than to two feet and be thrown into hell and if your eye causes you to sin tear it out it is better for you to enter the kingdom of god with one eye than with two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched for everyone will be salted with fire and 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 all this to say this about this part of the of this verse is that Hell is a real place. Heaven is a real place. And we don't often hear a lot of preaching about hell in church today anymore. But if we look at scripture, it describes it as a real place. And it, what, it, what it is saying to us, what Jesus is saying here is, are you more concerned about what you can get a hold of now or the reward that comes later? And that's, that's this whole issue of faith. When I invest my heart into myself and my flesh and what feels good to me in the moment, when I invest myself into my sin, what I'm saying is I am not walking out in faith because I believe more in me and what makes me feel good than I am what God has stored up for me, for his plans and purposes for me. And so when we're, we're in that moment and and. This is what Jesus said in, in Matthew. He said, you know, sin. Sin doesn't. It doesn't start the moment you did the bad thing. Right. That's not. it starts much more subtly than that. That's what it says in, in Genesis. It says sin is crouching at the door. Right. It's just trying to wait to get in there. This is what Jesus said about sin. He says, you know, it's not that you murdered someone, it's that you hated them. Right? It, it's, it's not that you had sexual relations with someone that you weren't married to, it's, it's, it's that you lusted after them in your heart. So the whole issue is sin. It doesn't start with the fact that you like you punch somebody or you talk bad about them. No, the, the issue is in your heart, you harbored that before the action ever happened. And so what happens is, is that action is just faith in your own sin. The scripture tells us time and time again, it, it's, it's what's inside you that comes out. 
I, I was talking to someone I'm discipling. Um, they're not here. And they're not there. I don't, I don't want people to try to figure that stuff out. But someone I'm walking with, and they were talking about this issue they have. And I said, you know, the issue isn't you trying to stop doing this thing. They had an issue with another person. I said, the issue is your heart towards that person when they're not even around. And so you think next time you run into them, you have to think, okay, I need to be nice. 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 And ah, you're not nice. (laughs) Well, how are you thinking about them in your heart the five days before you ran into them? Because can I tell you, the sin already happened before you met them. And all that happened was that when you met them, the sin was manifested to you and to them. The issue started way back five days ago when you let it stir up in your heart. And you begin to, you know what? That's, can I tell you, that's that pleasure. For some reason, I don't know what it is, but we get a lot of pleasure out of just stirring things in our heart. And just like, you know that person. I can't believe. And there's, I don't know what it is, but there's, we've all done it. We just let it stew inside of us. And we get some sort of weird satisfaction out of it. Does anybody else think that's strange? We just let it stir up. It, it's not just, it's, it, it can be with lust too. We just, we just let that settle right there. And I, I was seeing a, a thing on Facebook the other day. It was talking about uh, having affairs. It said, you know, affair, it doesn't start when you like, oh, let's go to the bedroom. It, it starts with a conversation. Just one conversation. It starts with a hello, but but you know in your heart that hello had more meaning. Right? So my question for us this morning is, what parts of your heart are is sin starting to get stirred up in there? And you you you've got to nip that in the bud now. We we gotta stop it now because we're living in a, sometimes we live in pleasure just up here. Well, I'm not doing it. Yeah, but, but you're, you're finding pleasure in it right here between your ears, up in your head. You're finding pleasure dwelling on it, thinking about it. If only I could just. Let's take away relationships and, and, and let's take away lust. What about greed? Well, greed's the same way. It starts right here. That's just a greedy person. Yeah, but it started right here where no one could see. And somehow we get a little pleasure just coveting and wanting all the time. And uh, how many remember when you're a kid and and they don't have this anymore? I guess, thank goodness. But the, the little magazines that would come out around Christmas time with all the toys in them, the Christmas toy catalog. Oh, my goodness. My favorite time of the year when I was a kid. And I would just go through that. I would just look at all the pictures and like you just dream. Of all the things you wish you could have. And I remember my mom, she, she would sometimes just take it away from us. Just take it away. And at the time, I didn't understand it. Like, I'm just looking. But I know what she's doing now. She's trying to keep me from just coveting and being miserable. But I'm just looking. Yeah, you can just look and make yourself miserable. That's covetousness. 
And the Bible says that's, that's a sin. If we look at Hebrews chapter 11 again, what it says in this verse, it says that there's, that Moses chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than enjoy the, what it says in my version, the fleeting pleasures of sin. To say, God, even though this thing makes me feel good, I'm going to leave it behind for what you have for me. To be called one of yours. In verse 26, he says, He considered the reproach of Christ greater than the wealth Great, great, excuse, excuse me, he's considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. The reproach of Christ was a greater treasure than the palace and all the treasure that was in Egypt, because he, he was Pharaoh's family, right? He had it all. We heard about it last week. He had a good gig. And yet, he considered the reproach of Christ a greater treasure. And, and I think that's, that's what we have to realize. It's, listen, it's one thing to sit there and be like, okay, I don't need to sin, 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 I don't need to sin. That could be your way of trying to get out of sin. Another way to get out of sin would be like, you know what? Jesus is my treasure. So I'm going to get a hold of him. It's really, really hard to sin while you're trying diligently to pursue Jesus. So you have that thought come up in your life. You're like, you know what? You know what would feel really good right now? You're like, oh, that would feel good. You know what else I could do? I could go look for Jesus right now. Okay, where's my Bible? There's got to be a treasure in here somewhere. Right? When you feel that lust coming on and say, oh gosh, I feel that. Um, hey, Jesus, where are you right now? I, I need you, Lord, right now. That this is a greater treasure than, than this thing that would feel good in the moment. Like, Jesus, if, you, if I run towards you right now while I'm being tempted with this thing, that I realize this is a greater treasure. Jesus is the greater treasure. Because Jesus had it so great, right? That's not what it says here. It doesn't say uh, he, 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 per, he pursued the things of the Lord because Jesus, man, there were, Jesus had it going on. No, it calls it the reproach of Christ. You know what's waiting for you when you pursue Jesus rather than sin? A cross. This is good preaching right now, guys. Come on. Really great news. You can either sit here and give in to the sin, which is going to feel really good. Or you could leave that behind in that moment, walk over here, and you get to die on a cross. Come on. This is good stuff this morning. This is the reproach of Christ. And what Jesus did was no small thing. And, and we... we, we Make it look nice for, for our churches and things like that. And you, you've heard me talk about it before that, that the cross, it, it wasn't some cutesy thing back then that people would wear on shirts or on necklaces or jewelry. 
you would have been considered a sicko if you did that in Jesus' day and age. Well, you've heard me say this before. You walk into to churches today, and there's a cross hanging here and there. And I'm not against that. Those are good things. It's to remind us about the cross. But can you imagine if, if you walked into a church and there was a big revolver up at the front, an instrument of death, and everyone's like, oh, the revolver, we love the revolver. It's the same thing. When we say we love the cross, we love the cross because it was a symbol of death that brought life. There, there's an intense irony in it. And I love this about Jesus, that he can take what the enemy meant for disaster and say, oh, you just wait and watch. I can bring what you meant for death and bring life. That's how good I am. The enemy, his plans, he can't, like, you've got to be frustrated if you're the devil. You've got to be frustrated. Because every time you come up with a plan, then you realize he keeps turning it on me. And that's what's going to happen at the end of the age. And so we see right here the, the reproach of Christ saying, if I abandon sin, I get to find a cross on the other side. And the question is, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to die to your own flesh? Die to the things that you desire? Die to the things that you want? You can write some of these down. In, in, um, in Hebrews 13, 13, it says this. It says, therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Talking about Jesus. In 1 John 1, 10, it says, that Jesus was in the world, and the world was made through him. It says, yet the world didn't know him. Talking about the reproach of Christ. It's like, Jesus, the whole world was made through him, and yet the world was like, who's this guy? Who's this guy? And I think sometimes as Christians, we think, we should, well, my life should go great. But can I tell you something? When you say yes to Jesus, sometimes the world just goes, who's this guy? Who do you think you are? The psalmist said it like this in, in Psalm 69. It says, it says, the zeal for your house consumes me. And the insults of those who insult you fall on me. Talking about foreshadowing of Christ. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. This is what it says. It says, now... I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. How many have ever been able to say that? I'm rejoicing in my sufferings. We walk in the building, we always ask people, hey, how are you doing? I'm, I'm, when I'm having a bad day next time, I need to remember to say, well, I'm rejoicing. I'm rejoicing. Why am I suffering? It says this, I'm re now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church. Do, you, do we realize that, that any suffering we might do by saying no to sin is nothing compared to the, what Jesus went through by taking our sin itself upon him on the cross? It's really exciting because I get to break the law all the time at school by telling people about Jesus, and it's really fun Really saying what Jesus really did. Here's what Jesus really did. 
he who knew no sin was made to be sin, that we might be the righteousness of God of, in Christ, so that everything that I've ever done is put on Jesus, and all his righteousness is put on me, and that's not even fair. And what that does for me, for some people, says, wait, I'm righteous? I can do whatever I want now, like a freedom to sin. In Romans 6, Paul's like, no way. If you truly understand that, you'd be like, wait a minute. Wait, I'm made righteous because of what Jesus did? That's sin? Let me get away from that thing. And my question to you this morning is, if there's an area of your life where sin that you keep going into over and over and over again, the scripture is really clear about that, practicing sinning, my thing would be you really need to see Jesus, like, for real. Like, really get your eyes on him. For real. Like, well, I have. Look for him. Look for him. Because I'm not sure you have. I'm not going to sit here and make a judgment about your salvation. But I'm going to say, look for Jesus. Find him for real. Because I'm going to tell you what's on the other side is freedom. It's a life where your mind is set on the things of the spirit. Um, do you want to come join me so everyone feels good? Oh, yeah. It's kind of getting uncomfortable in here. That's okay. The Lord gave me the coolest idea of why we were in worship today. We're going to do it here in a couple weeks or so. Some of you are going to be so uncomfortable. I can't hardly wait. Please come and be uncomfortable. No, some of you are going to be, you're going to love it. I just know everyone's just going to love it, but you're going to be so uncomfortable. We're going to walk out and we go, that was so good and uncomfortable. Great. Um, where am I? I'm rejoicing. Yeah. Um, in Second Corinthians chapter one, verse five, it says this. It says that we share abundantly in Christ's suffering. So through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. Do you realize that if we can say yes to the sufferings that come? was saying yes to Christ, that there's comfort in that as well. There's comfort in that as well. That doesn't make any sense, Pastor Drew. Yes. Yes, you're right. It, it does not make sense. That sometimes when we say yes to Christ, it's painful. And yet there's a comfort that comes through only saying yes to Christ. I'm reminded in, in Philippians Chapter 3, this is what Paul says. He says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and I may be found in him. Not having a righteousness 
of my own derived from the law, but that which is gained through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death in order that I, excuse me, that I may attain resurrection from the dead. We, we as people of God, and, and man, I'm looking around this room, and you guys are all really great people. I, I feel like I'm, if we had a choir, you'd be it, and I'm preaching to it this morning. Right? And yet I know human beings. I had a conversation with a student not long ago, and we were talking about how sometimes teenagers do stupid stuff. And I said, yeah, nothing really shocks me anymore. And they're like, what? What are you talking about? It doesn't shock you anymore. I'm like, oh, don't get me wrong. It breaks my heart. It hurts me. But it doesn't shock me. Because people are people. People do dumb stuff. We have an affinity to sin. And that's because there's pleasure in it. We like it. And so I look around here at the choir this morning. And yet, if I found out certain things going on in certain people's lives, would it shock me? Probably not. It would break my heart. It would break my heart. But we have to take the grace that we've experienced by saying yes to Jesus Christ and not to humble us in a way where we're willing the next time that sin pops up to say, you know what? I have to have enough faith. Say that word, faith. Faith to go beyond what I can see in this moment and this sin, this thing that feels good either to do or even just to think about in my heart and say, you know what? This has to die and find joy and treasure and walking out the reproach of Jesus Christ. Though it hurts and though I suffer, I say no to this. I say yes to Jesus. I say yes to his suffering, having faith in a hope that I cannot see and something that is to come someday. And so my call this morning to Forerunner House of Prayer is for us to lay aside the secret sin that we harbor, either the things we're doing that no one sees or the things that we're harboring inside that no one knows about. Or maybe someone does, I'm not sure. Saying no to that. And saying yes to the cross of Jesus Christ again. Not just saying, yes, Jesus, thank you for what you did on the cross, but saying, you know what, Jesus? I die with you. I die daily. And can I tell you something? It's going to take some of us climbing on that cross every morning when we wake up. Our eyes open, our head pops off the pillow, and we think, okay. Another thing I have to die to. And can I encourage you again? Don't die to it by saying no, 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 no to it. Die to it by saying yes, 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 yes to Jesus. Because you got to fill that with something. Fill it with Jesus. 
So the next time you walk into that situation, you've been meditating on the things of God. You've had his word in your heart. You've been leaning into him. You've been spending time in his presence. So when that thing happens, my dad always says, collect a cup, your stuff inside. When we get bumped, whatever's inside, that's what spills out. So we say yes, yes, yes to Jesus, and we fill ourselves up with the things of God. We fill ourselves up with the Word. So when we get bumped, even if no one's around and watching, we're like, oh man, I just got bumped, and I, I served the Lord, and no one was around to watch. Man, I just did great right now. Can I tell you something? God's watching. And he's proud of you as a father is of his kid when they make the right choice. In fact, he's more proud of us. I'm more proud of my daughter when she makes the right decision when I'm not around. Right? I think God's even more proud of you when you say yes to him and avoid the sin when no one else is around to hold you accountable. Accountability is a really good thing, though. That's a whole nother sermon for another time. Accountability is a great thing. I'm not saying, I'm going to try to impress everybody, so I'm going to have no accountability partners and walk with God anyway. That's a recipe for disaster. Um, get yourself an accountability partner. That's part of what discipleship's about. Will you stand with me? I believe that if God's moving and he wants to move for a while, that we go for a while. I also believe that if we're done, we're done. I'm done this morning. I'm not going to belabor the point. Jesus is good. And the redemptive work he did on the cross was to set us free. Can we just spend just a minute here just to thank the Lord what he's done for us? Father God, we come before you right now in the name of Jesus. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy and your grace that you've poured out on us. Father God, in our culture today, we know that serving you is not always glamorous or popular even. Lord, that culture can even push back against our walk with you. God, not just culture. God, sometimes our own flesh can push back against our walk with you. So Father God, I pray, Lord, this morning that we would make a decision to serve you. God, we know that it says in Scripture that it's, it's our own desires that pull us away towards sin. So, Father God, I pray that we would make a conscious decision to run towards the cross, to embrace the treasure and the reproach of Christ. Lord, when the pleasure of sin rears its beautiful head. Lord, that we would not give it safe harbor. That we we would kill it and we would run to you.
thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, including service times, contact information, and online giving, please visit www.fhop.church. 